Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mark. I am a recovered alcoholic. Welcome to session four of our uh, of our workshop. Um, actually, not bad. Not a bad turnout. So I, I know we started with uh, with 46, and I would have been quite happy if we would have finished all four sessions with half of that. And I think with the people that are online, we're probably more than half. So I think that's good. So that's wonderful. So thanks uh, for everyone for sticking it out. Um, we do have at least a couple new faces in here. So we're going to just start again with the set aside prayer. Dear God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, my disease, the big book, the 12 steps, the program, the fellowship, the people in the fellowship, in all spiritual terms, and especially about you, God, so I may have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please help me see the truth. Amen. And the disclaimers, same as before. This is not a, an AA meeting. This is a 12-step uh, a recovery workshop. So there is no singleness of purpose in here today. We will be talking about other addictions. Um, I will be referencing my experience to Alcoholics Anonymous because that is where I'm from. But again, the big book uh, is used for a number of other fellowships and uh, we will be discussing other addictions as well. Uh, this is not meant as a replacement for one-on-one -on -one work with a sponsor. Okay, the magic happens with one-on-one -on -one work with a sponsor. We uh, do a lot of cherry picking here, um, just based on time. We can't, we don't have time to go through everything. And again, I'm a, a huge advocate of uh, big book um, study groups where you can go through things line by line and get a deeper experience. I'm also a big advocate of working the steps over and over and over again, right? You know, we're going to be going through a lot of that today. I guess, you know, every time I take someone else through the work, guess who else is going through the work? Me, right? You know, so it gives me a, a chance to have a new experience each and every time. Uh, again, we'll be using the fourth edition of Alcoholics Anonymous as a reference point. You know, I do read some other articles and I will make some reference from time to time um, to other literature. But as far as working the steps go, uh, the fourth edition of Alcoholics Anonymous is, is always my reference point. That's how the first 100 recovered. And um, that's, where, that's where we stick to. Uh, again, due to time constraints, we'll be uh, cherry-picking certain excerpts out of the big book. Uh, we won't be going through everything. And then, again, as much as, as much as anything, that I am not a spokesman for AA. I'm not a spokesman for any 12-step fellowship. Uh, I am going to be sharing my experience. Right? If my experience doesn't jive with your experience and you're happy and you're sober, keep doing what you're doing. Give yourself a high five, right? So what I'm going to be doing is just sharing what's worked for me. I'm going to be also sharing, as I have all along, some of the challenges that I've had as a chronic relapser seven years in and out, in and out, in and out of these meetings and what didn't work for me, right? And again, I don't want to have this as an open forum uh, of debate. Uh, if you've done something with a sponsor that is different than what I'm saying, we can chat about it at the break. We can chat about it after the meeting. Again, I, I don't want this to be an open forum of debate saying, you know, this isn't how I did it with my sponsor or, or whatever it might be, right? Um, today was, we're going to be going through steps 10, 11, and 12 today. I was up late last night. I'm, I'm really excited about today. Uh, I'm also 
a little bit more nervous about today, mainly just, I was going through things last night. There's so much content here, you know, steps 10 and 11 and 12 is just so much content. This is basically where we live our lives now, right? It's, it's pages 84 through 103 in your big book. There's only 19 pages, basically where you now live your life, right? Pages 84 through 88 are steps 10 and 11. We're going to be going through those today, as well as we're going to be discussing some stuff in regards to step 12. Step 12 is, you know, where I'm the most excited about. Um, like I said, I was up late last night trying to figure out what I'm going to be uh, doing today. And we'll, once we get to step 12, um, as far as the workshop goes, uh, I'll go through this, but I'm, I'm going to do a little less uh, talking from the big book and maybe just kind of go off script. And what I did is I was going to go my top 10 tips on sponsorship. And of course, those 10 turned into 16. <laughs> so, um, but I'm just really want to share my experience because one thing I have done a lot. I do have a lot of experience on uh, working one-on-one. -on -one. I've made probably every mistake you can probably you can possibly think of, um, and I'm going to share some of that. Uh, but we're going to go right into step 10 here. Steps 10 and 11, you can consider basically emotional sobriety. Um, they're probably the most two overlooked steps in our entire literature, and and I think they're the most two important steps for emotional sobriety. See a lot of people with you know years of sobriety or the spiritual malady comes back, they get really uncomfortable in their skin. You know, five, ten years sober, people are co contemplating suicide, right? You know, it's like, okay, what's what's that all about? Uh, if you do a little bit of digging, um, most of them have done very little, if anything, in regards to steps uh, steps ten and eleven. Quick review. Um, so last session we talked about six, seven, eight, and nine. We read the step nine promises last session. So once we've worked the steps honestly up to this point, we've done an honest inventory. We're out there making amends, right? We've asked God to remove our character defects. And we're in the step nine promises where we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. What have you become halfway through step nine? Amaze. What else have you become though? What when when you're at step ten, what are you now? You recovered, right? You are a recovered alcoholic. I'm going to talk about what that actually means today and what that doesn't mean. Okay. Um we're gonna just jump right in this uh right into the big book here. So step ten is uh is basically the uh, continue to take inventory. So who has heard um, evening review as being step 10? Okay, that's what I always thought as well. Right? Evening review is not step 10. Evening review is step 11. So again, rather than Mark's opinion, let's go to the big book and see what the big book says. Okay. I'm just going to do a little bit of bouncing around and then I'm going to go right from the beginning and talk about this. So over on page 86, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid, right? We're taking an evening review. How many thought this, that was step 10? I did for years. Go back one page. 
bottom of age, page 85, tells us where you're at. You're actually doing step 11 here, right? Step 11 is evening review. There's some confusion, especially if you've uh, used the 12 and 12 to work the step step. There's a little bit of confusion there. I think the 12 and 12 confuses things a little bit. And I've heard a lot of old timers refer to uh, step 10 as an evening review. Step 10 is as we go along in the moment, we watch our thoughts. Okay. Again, let's just go to the big book and see what the big book says. Page 84, second paragraph. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along in the moment, on the spot, right? Not at the end of the day. That's not what they're referring to here. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We've entered in the world of spirit. Our next function is to grow and understand and uh, understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch, right? So this is what we're doing. We're continuing to watch in the moment as the day goes along for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. So here's step 10. I wrote this up on the board. Not sure if everyone can read this or not. So we're going to watch. As you go throughout the day, you're beginning to watch your thinking. You watch your thoughts, right? You're watching for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear as you go along in the moment throughout the day. When these crop up, what do we do about it, right? You ask God to remove them at once. We discuss them with someone immediately, and we make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance is our code. So what to do, right? So here's what to watch for. Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. What to do? You ask God to remove them at once. You discuss them with somebody immediately, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be your sponsor. It doesn't even necessarily have to be someone in the program. This is where it's good to have some, some sober friends, right? Make a phone call. It's like, hey, I'm experiencing some fear here. I'm experiencing some resentment here. You know, bounce it off them real quick. Tell them where you're at. You make an amend if necessary. So if I've done something to offend somebody, or if I've done something that's completely offside, I don't wait to the end of the day. I don't wait to the following day, right? I make an amend right away. And then... Here's what this book refers to over and over and over and over again, is resultly turn our attention towards someone we can help, right? Helps us get out of our head. That takes us over to the step 10 promises, right? Again, we hear lots of talk of the promises in our meetings, uh, especially the ninth step promises, which are what they are. They're the ninth step promises. My 10-step promises are indeed my favorite promises. Uh, I think we should be shouting these from the rooftop because it actually explains what a recovered alcoholic is and what a recovered alcoholic is not. So, bottom of page 84 explains the step, step 10 promises or the definition of a recovered alcoholic. And we've ceased fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol. For this time, sanity will have returned. What do they mean by sanity? It means that we're exactly right. That's one thing it's, that I've all, I always heard around the rooms, right? Restored the sanity. Mean thinking that I was crazy, 
I, I guess I was, <laughs> but what they're referring to here, it's a, the sanity around the first drink. That doesn't mean we're still not a little bit crazy in sobriety, right? A lot of us are, I'm one of them, right? So what it is, it's restored to sanity around the first drink, right? The most insane thing that I will ever do is knowing the repercussions of drinking or taking drugs or whatever it may be. The most insane thing that I'll ever do is go like this and put that in my mouth, right? And I did it over and over and over and over again, right? I'm restored to sanity for the first, within the first drink. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it like a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we'll find that this has happened automatically. We'll see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given to us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is a miracle of it. We're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We've not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. This is our experience. This is how we react as we, as long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Right? I can go to places where there's alcohol and I don't see it. The problem has been removed. I'm not cocky. I'm not afraid. Right? I've been put in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Right? Now, does that happen on day one? No. you got to remember where we're at here. We've actually worked the steps. We've done inventory. We're making amends. We're at a spot now where we have become into a position where we call recovered. If you don't want to use that word, I don't care, right? No big deal. But this is what it means, right? Put in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I haven't even sworn off it. The problems has been removed. Like I'll go sit in a restaurant and I, I don't see the liquor. I don't see it, which like that's, that's a freaking miracle, you know? I mean, and I've been through all sorts of uh, a hardship in recovery. You know, I've had between years two and four, I had my mom die, my dad die, my uncle who was really close to die, I had a sister or uh, an aunt die, I had some friends die, right? All these different things, you know, what I can safely say, and did I grieve? Yeah, did I go through a lot of emotions? Yes, I did, I was devastated. But what I can safely say is not once has the obsession ever come back. Right? For me, it was when I did an honest fifth step. Once I did that full, honest, 100% fifth step, that problem was removed. And it has not come back. Right Now, we're put in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Let's read the next sentence, the next paragraph. It is easy to let up on our spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for, an alcohol, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. Right? Does not recover and cure me. Two completely different things. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. So I'm given a, a daily reprieve based on my spiritual condition. This is why we do what we do, is to stay in fit spiritual condition. That's my job. That's not God's job. There are certain actions that I need to do day in, day out, 
to stay in fit spiritual condition. So as a recovered alcoholic, can I get sick again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? I'm given a daily reprieve based on the work that I put into this program. Right? I can't survive off a meal that I ate last week or last month. Right? I'm not, I don't ever be the, want to be the person to say, oh yeah, back three years ago I sponsored that one guy. <laughs> right? Or I remember chairing a meeting three months ago. You know? It's like there's certain things, or I prayed six months ago, you know, or I wrote inventory five years ago. There's certain things that I need to do day in, day out to stay in fit spiritual condition, right? That's my job. That's not God's job, right? Does that make sense? No. All right. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspirational, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed these directions, we've begun to sense the flow of his spirit to some extent and become God conscious, right? That's the, that's the whole purpose of this, is to remove those blocks, right? Those character defects so that I can get that connection. Lack of power was our dilemma. So it's what, it's what the problem always was, was lack of power. But we must go further, and that means more action. Doesn't say more thinking, doesn't say more emotions, okay? More action. Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on the matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague on this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite, valuable suggestions. Okay? So this is the only part of the entire big book where it says exactly what to do each and every day. Very, very specific directions on what to do each and every day. All right, just like the alcoholic, they start with the night first, right? Um, I would have probably thought the morning first, but it starts with the night first. Um, but let's just walk through it here. Tells us exactly what to do. When we retire at night, we constructively, highlight the word constructively, review our day. The purpose isn't to beat the crap out of yourself, right? We constructively review our day. Here's the questions we ask at the end of the day, right? Again, we just talked about it in the big book. This is step 11. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time, or were we thinking of what we could do for others, what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must not, we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and require what corrective measures should be taken. Okay? Tells us exactly what to do at night. And then it tells us exactly what to do when we wake up. So just out of curiosity, show of hands, who actually does this each and every day? All right, awesome, that's great, okay? These are the very things that help us with God consciousness and emotional sobriety, right? Because uh, I can get off, me personally, I can get off the grid really quickly when I quit doing the things that I need to do. And I do this upon awakening. I've always been a little bit better upon awakening than evening review. Um, just for whatever reason, I'm a little bit sloppy on evening review. I got some room for improvement there. 
But upon awakening, I this is precisely what I do. I get up in the morning, I do the third step prayer, and then I do exactly what's in here. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking it, asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. Right? So right as soon as I get up, I'm asking to be divorced of self-pity. Um, for me, I've got a group of vultures at the end of my bed waiting for me to wake up each and every morning. Right? It's like as soon as I open my eyes, they're like, we've been waiting to talk to you. <laughs> right? And, and it's always telling me bad stuff. Right? It's telling me that, oh, yeah, your girlfriend, she's, uh, she's, she's going to leave you. You know, yeah, she's, she's screwing around or that guy at work, you know, or the boss hasn't been treated you well, you know, or that person, uh, two weeks ago, that share, that, that share was probably about you, you know? So those are the vultures at the end of my bed. When I open my eyes, uh, does anyone else have that negative self chatter in their head? All right. I'm in the right room. Thank you. <laughs> so that's me left to my own devices. So upon awakening, I'm asking God to direct and control my thinking and direct my thinking, okay? Again, asking it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives, right? So um, under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties. What it's saying is that under these conditions, with God's help, I can actually start to trust my brain with assurance. After all, God's gave us brains to use, all right? Our thought life will be placed in a much higher plane when thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or decision. We relax and take it easy. So when we're not sure what to do, right? just take a minute, take a breath, stop and say, God, please tell me what to do. Please guide. Please guide me. Right? Just take a moment. Relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers will come after we've tried this for a while. What used to be a hunch or an occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still experienced and having just made God consciousness or just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption with all sorts of observed actions and ideas. Absolutely. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more placed in inspiration. We come to rely upon it. Okay, so it's telling us if, with God's help, I can start trust my thinking. We usually conclude the period of meditation. Does anyone remember meditating? <laughs> the definition of meditation back in 1930s is very different than it is today right here's what i thought it's like well something clearly just got missed here it just told me i meditated i don't remember meditating because in my mind meditation is you know the east india where i cross my legs and i go like this and i go home right which again nothing wrong with that in addition to but the definition of the 19 back in the 1930s of meditation was strategic contemplation all right so as i get up and I make plans for the day, and this is what I got, this is what I have. I got my day timer, and I'm making plans for the day, and I'm looking at the evening review from the prior day, 
and if I have to move some stuff forward, I'm moving it to today. I'm strategically planning my day, strategic contemplation. There's, that's all the big book is asking you to do. That's the definition of meditation as far as the big book is concerned, right? Now, do I do some stuff in addition to that? Yes, I do, right? And the big book's going to tell me that's good and it's okay. We're going to read that in a minute here. Right? But I've heard so many times, like, I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to meditate. So are you doing page 86? Upon awakening and evening review, then you're meditating. Based on our literature, you want to add some other meditation in with that? Wonderful. Right? I do that. But don't ever do it instead of. Do it in addition to. All right? The stuff on page 86 is absolute gold. Um, there's a group, I got two groups, uh, 10, 10 men each. We do a check-in at the end of each day, right? Just confirming that we're doing step 11 upon awakening and evening review. We just got this group, uh, uh, text that just says the word done right at the end of the night. So it says done, done, done. All these texts start coming in and I see it, right? I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, I said, I was going to do this. I'm going to do this. But what it does, it keeps me accountable, Right. Might be if you're not doing something like that, maybe grab a couple of sober friends, you know, start your own little group text and, and add it to that, right? Start doing, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Again, I see the word done. I grab my big book, you know, evening review, morning meditation upon awakening. Those are the kind of things that keep me in fit spiritual condition, all right? Uh, where are we at? We usually... Conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that will be shown throughout the day what our next step will be. That we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We especially, uh, we ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves if others are helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation if we belong to a religious denomination which requires a, de a definite morning devotion. We attend uh, that also, to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we've been discussing, which I do. There's some other prayers that I, that I had in there, right? Not telling me to do the third step prayer in the morning, but I do. Right? I do the third step prayer in the morning. I also do the seven step prayer at night. Sometimes I'll mix in the 11 step prayer. Right? What it's telling me to do is each and every day without question when we retire at night and upon awakening. All right. So towards the bottom there, there are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, rat, or rabbi. Here's a really key sentence in here. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they have to offer. Right? So sometimes I'll read non-AA approved literature. My big book's telling me that's okay. Right? Um, I mix in some additional stuff. I do some of that Eastern meditation. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Right? Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they have to offer. Between years two and four of my sobriety, I was going to church, like, re religiously steady, right? You know, uh, my, my dad had just passed away. My mom loved going there, you know, so I would take her to church. 
Um, what it's inviting me to do here is spirituality to be an ocean. You know, uh, do I want to go to an ocean with a thimble and fill that up? Or do I want to go to an ocean with a big old bucket and fill that up? Right? Again, it's, it's keeping things open and roomy for whatever, however you want to establish that relationship with God or higher power. And it might be a, a monastery. It might be the church. It might be the Bible. It might be, you know, it could be so many different things, you know. And again, it's inviting you to go be a seeker. Go try different things out, you know. Try it out. In addition to not instead of that's the key thing here right upon awakening evening review i do each and every day do i try other things out i do right and i'll continue to be a seeker you know i i, I love these different forms of meditation you know like outside of what the big book's telling me they, they've really helped quiet my mind and help me establish con conscious contact but i don't do them instead of as we go through the day we pause when agitated Man, what a key thing that can be. I just did a tour of the, uh, the prison here with a good friend of mine a few days ago who runs it. That place is full of people that wish they would have paused when they were agitated. Trust me, right? We pause when agitated or doubtful. We ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done, right? That's like a miniature version of the third step prayer. That will be done. That will be done. I'm not the boss. You're in charge. Okay. We are then in much, much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We come, become more, much more efficient. We do, do not tire so easily for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. Right? The actor that wants to run the whole show. It works. It really does. You almost sound surprised here too, right? It's like, it works. It does, right? We alcoholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in simple ways, which you've just outlined. Very simple, right? Upon awakening, even interview. But this is not all. There is action and more action. It doesn't say there's thinking and more thinking. Faith without works is dead. It uses that line over and over in the big book. Love it, right? The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. So at this point, I want to send around the 7th. Um, and at this point, I want to thank anybody that has helped with this workshop. Uh, this has been tremendously beneficial to, to me. I especially want to thank Todd for making such unbelievably amazing yeah. food. <laughs> and I also really want to thank Scott. Scott's been, uh, there, we've had a number of people uh, dialing in on, or linking in on Zoom. So Scott's been handling all the tech part. So yeah. And then also these have all been recorded. Uh, so if anybody wants to get a recording of these, you can shoot Scott an email. He'll send them to you. Does anyone want a break? Five minutes? Okay. Let's do five minutes. I really want to have as much time as possible for step 12. This is steps one and 12 are really 
where it's at. So we on here. So Mark recovered alcoholic. Um, I forgot to ask, is there any questions in regards to steps 10 or 11? Is it all pretty self-explanatory there? Okay. If you haven't been doing that, start doing that and just pay attention to your emotional sobriety, right? Just not drinking and emotional sobriety are two very, very different things. And I know that personally, you know, for me, my emotional sobriety can get off the beam fairly quickly through my thoughts, you know, and uh, I, I need help with this kind of stuff, right? And, and some of this outside stuff, you know, be quick to see where religious people are right, make use of what they have to offer. Uh, some of these outside tools of meditation have been absolute gold for me, right? You know, and I'll be happy to share some of that with you. And I know that there's a variety of different tools being used out there, but at bare minimum, I'll start doing the stuff on page 86 and see what happens. Uh, step 12. Man, this was, uh, I was struggling with this all last night. There's so much material here. So this, these are pages 89 through 103 in the big book. Uh, it's called Working with Others. And they might as well just retitle that How to Sponsor, because that's exactly what it is, right? What word is not in the big book that we use all the time? Sponsor. Sponsor. Right? Uh, uses words like friend, protege. Personally, I don't like the term sponsor and sponsee because it's like big dog, little dog. Right? I mean, this is a, this is a relationship. It's a friendship um, provided that they're going to do what they need to do. Um, you know, that relationship can flourish. Right? But I, I, I don't use those words as, as, as much as uh, maybe some others do. Um, what I struggled with, there's just so much material here. I was going to go through the big book and we'll hit a couple of readings here but I, I meditated on this last night and I and I was asking you know God or my higher power where can I be most useful and effective today with the limited amount of time that we have so what I'm basically going to do here is just kind of share my again I, I thought it was going to be the top 10 but it turned out to be 15 or 16 uh, tips on sponsorship right because that's one thing I've done a lot of I've done a lot of sponsorship you know and again I don't I don't care to take advice from someone on an experience that they've never had you know I get tips on sponsorship all the time from people that haven't sponsored you know I'm a uh, for an occupation I'm a real estate investor there's a group that I belong to it's a group of real estate investors, right? And we all meet kind of like a community like this one. And within that community, there's some people with unbelievably good ideas and they're telling me what to do and what not to do, right? You know, and then every now and then I'm like, have you ever bought anything? <laughs> you know, they're like, well, no, but I've read all these books, right? It's like, okay, well, again, I'm, I want to hear from the person that's been doing this for a while, that's made all sorts of mistakes, that's been in the trench, that's full of battle wounds. I was talking about this with Neil the other day, right? You know, we've uh, we've been in the trench. We've made lots of mistakes, you know. And and what I want to do is maybe to share on some of those today and 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 answer some questions today on on step twelve. And I'll again I'll share my experience. If what you've done is one hundred percent different than some of the stuff that I'm saying, and you're happy and you're sober, then keep doing what you're doing, right? Uh, I'm not a spokesman. I've never claimed to be an expert here, right? But the big thing is, is 
you've got to remember why look back at your experience and the doctor's opinion why did we drink we like, the we like the effect right why do we sponsor for the effect right I like the effect of sponsorship alcohol didn't work for me anymore I needed a sufficient substitute right alcohol used to take away my fear it used to take away my anxiety it made me you know more courageous uh, it helped me mix and mingle with society right for somebody like me and we've discussed a lot of this in step one for someone like me to just stop drinking and not have a sufficient substitute it is like a, a form of torture right I am unbelievably restless irritable discontented in my skin the bedevilments that we talked about over on page 52 right trouble with personal relationships prey to misery and depression you know I need a sufficient substitute I sponsor for the effect uh, one of the biggest paradoxes that I'll hear in these rooms often is uh, I need to get well before I sponsor and here's the paradox is you need to sponsor or help others let's just say in order to get well it happens the other way right and this was really hammered into me with my uh, with my original sponsor who is a, a woman out in New York who was really really tough and I remember I would call her with because I was I always thought that your sponsor is your life coach and you go with them with all your problems and you check in with them and you ask them what color socks to wear and right you know they're really just you know this kind of like this weird codependent type relationship and I remember actually going through the steps with this lady and then calling her usually around relationship drama that's what most of my calls would be it's where we would get the most twisted up and she would say did you help another alcoholic today and if the answer was no she would hang up the phone on me right and and of course I would be angry because you know I'm highly sensitive alcoholic um, but it taught me my way out of here which is working with others uh, even prior to the first hundred and or sorry the first 89 pages 124 times it makes note of helping another alcoholic or working with others they're not talking about you working with your sponsor they're talking about us as individuals going back out there and helping other alcoholics right prior to even finishing the steps over and over and over it talks about this so the question is and I hear this all the time Candace and I were talking about this a little bit earlier why and to me there's two two main reasons why don't people want to sponsor and let's just be really honest here fear, fear. you're scared of screwing it up right and here's the deal sometimes you'll I, I think a lot of this comes from thinking that sponsorship is is more complicated than it actually is if you look at what you know what we talked about what a sponsor is and what a sponsor isn't the sponsors to take you somebody through the 12 steps to get you connected to a higher power who will help solve your problems sponsor is not your mom your dad your higher power your banker your babysitter none of that right uh, what I don't do as a sponsor is I don't try to run their lives I don't tell them who to date 
don't tell them where to work. I don't tell them, I don't go there, right? Because if I did, that would, in essence, be me playing God. Now, if they ask me if I got some experience in a certain area, I'll share that experience. But by far, you know, the biggest challenge is around fear. Here's what uh, my sponsor, Chris, says around that. Who's you can't screw this up. It's already a train wreck, right? <laughs> so, and I believe that to be true. As long as we're sticking to our literature, we're keeping this simple. Do not try to be a counselor or a doctor or a marriage therapist or a lawyer. And you're keeping this very, very simple. We're sticking to the literature, right? If I can direct them to a therapist, I will. If I direct them to a lawyer, I will. If I can direct them to a marriage counselor, I will, right? But I don't start getting in there and mixing and meddling. That is by far the main reason I see people not wanting to sponsor, as well as something else. And, and I think it deserves to be talked about. Why else do people not want to sponsor? Any guesses? Any Maybe some experience? Go ahead. Uh, time involved. Time, yeah. Time and effort. Yeah. So that, lazy, selfish. Yeah. So where I've ta- where I've seen a lot is people wanting to get wanting to help and getting burnt out by people who actually don't want to work. Right, and that actually has been my experience. Uh, when I said I've made every mistake possible as a sponsor, hundred percent I have especially in early sobriety. I wanted it more than they did, right? Uh, Often we'll find ourselves chasing around people who really don't want to do the work, you know? And I start taking all these calls in the middle of the night and suicide threats and all these different crazy things, right? And again, it goes right back to what we talked about in how it works. Do you want what we have? And are you willing to go to any length to get it? Then and only then are you ready to take certain steps, right? Now, if I'm being used as a 911 hotline every time somebody's off the beam, no, absolutely not, right? If one thing that I've learned uh, throughout, and I've I've taken roughly about 100 people through the steps now, right? Either in a sponsorship or a co-sponsorship position. One thing that I've learned is I don't say yes right away. If somebody asks me to sponsor them, I'll say, let's talk about that. And then you get to decide actually if you want me to be your sponsor or not. And I'll quickly outline this, the, what that means. Here's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be writing inventory. You're going to be honest. You're going to be making amends, right? You're going to be helping other alcoholics as a way of life. You're going to be involved in prayer and meditation. And I'm going to outline the program quickly, right? I'm going to make you accountable. For, and I'm going to have you sign a contract right from the beginning. Now, go sleep on this, and then you decide. Do you actually still want me to be your sponsor? You know, where I think we get bogged down and wore out and beat up is by chasing around people and wanting them to, like, let me help you, let me help you, right? And I was doing that. I was giving people rides and buying them meals and listening and trying to be a marriage counselor, right? And you know, after a while, I was just like, wanted to grab a fork and stick it right in my eye, right? Because it's like, holy crap, I got burnt out. If you follow what our literature says, it's not necessary, right? You know, I'll have the conversations with them, I'll get them to a meeting, but then at some point in time, we have that very, very direct conversation of, 
this is what it looks like. Do you want me to help or not? Okay. Um, going to hit a couple of spots in the big book, and then I'm just going to just share a few things in regards to sponsorship. Pages 14, bottom of 14, top of 15. This is about as powerful as anything in our entire book here. My, is everyone there? Bottom of 14? Yeah. Yeah. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For an alcoholic, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his life, his spiritual life, through work and self-sacrifice for others. Doesn't say enlarging the spiritual life through prayer and meditation. It says enhancing or enlarging your spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. He could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. Means stuff's coming your way. It's part of life. People are going to die. There's going to be financial insecurity. Stuff's going to happen. Life's going to punch you right in the face at some point in time. Certain trials and tribulations are coming your way. If he did not work, he would, simp he would surely drink again. If he would drink, he would surely die then faith would be dead indeed with us. It's just like that, right? Tells me how to grow spiritually. So even when I'm out there making all these mistakes, working with others, I stayed sober. You know, Bill Wilson, the first 32 people, I think it was. I'm, I, I'm close. I might not be 100% right. There's a lot. The first 30-some people that he worked with, none of them stayed sober. Right? He was actually getting very, very dejected, and he was thinking about giving up, right? And then it was his wife who was, a, I think, a turning point in our program. His wife, Lois, said, she goes, but you don't understand. You're staying sober, right? Don't get attached to the results here. We're not the power. Now, there was some stuff that he shifted in his program and what he was doing. He was leading with the chin. He was leading with God, and then he started to lead with the illness, and he had much better results. Right? He was talking about the disease rather than, hey, I found God, right? Again, our big book says that's like leading with the chin. My wife and I, my wife and I abandoned ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping others, other alcoholics, to a solution of their problems. It, it, was, an, it was fortunate for my old business associates remained skeptical for a year and a half, during which I found little work. I was not too well at the time. Here's, here's a key part. I was not too well at the time. I was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment, right? I see that all the time, waves of self-pity and resentment. Here's a newsflash. If you want to build some self-esteem, do esteemable things, right? Be of service. Start helping some people. You know, even if it's just, uh, you know, even if it's, it's not another... Uh, not an alcoholic, right? Go down to the SPCA, walk some dogs, like just, just do something outside of yourself. I was plagued by waves and self-pity and resentment. This sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, meetings, prayer, meditation, whatever it might be, when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Many times I've gone to my old hospital in despair on talking with to a man 
I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. It is a design for living that works in rough goings. There's been a number of men that I've sponsored over the years that I've met on some of my worst days in recovery, right? That was one thing that Anne, my original sponsor, hammered into me. It's like, this isn't about going to find somebody when life is wonderful, right? Again, that's that paradox. We get well by helping others. We don't get well and then go help others. And I remember going to the, these, the noon meetings at the time, right? And, and I would do this prayer that was taught to me and works unbelievably well. I met a guy in Boston, at a, at a, or sorry, a guy from Mexico uh, that's from Boston, the same way. It's like, God, please put someone in front of me suffering more than me. And look around the room. <laughs> it, it works unbelievably well, right? If, at least at that time, you know, if, you, if, if I'd gone to two or three noon meetings and hadn't found someone to work with, I really just wasn't looking. Dustin, you just met your sponsor here a few weeks ago, right? He was not doing well in sobriety. He went to a meeting with a purpose, and that was to find someone to help, right? And that's how you guys got connected. You know, it wasn't like, hey, I'm feeling wonderful today. I'm going to go find, uh, find someone to work with. He was struggling. You knew that, right? He told you that. And he went to a noon meeting. One day, he found you, right? God, please put someone in front of me suffering more than you, more than me. That was clearly you, right? Yeah. And, uh, and here you are, right? A month later. Or what is it? 50 on two months. Awesome. Fantastic, right? You know, but again, live examples, right? He wasn't doing good that day. There's many, many days that I have not been doing good. You know, who's had that same kind of experience? You're doing terrible. You go and you find somebody and you're amazingly lifted up, right? Awesome. Ah, uh, okay. And that kind of just falls back into place with what kept Bill W. and Dr. Bob sober, right? The very thing that kept them sober was working with other alcoholics as a way of life. They made all sorts of mistakes along the way, right? You got to remember, they were nine days and 14 days sober, and they were actively out there trying to help other alcoholics. Did they make some mistakes? Sure they did, right? But they stayed sober, you know? Where would we be today if they both waited the one year that suggested that you so often hear suggested? Where would, where would any of us be today? Dead. I know there'd be a few of us dead, for sure. I probably wouldn't be here. I don't think I'd be alive, right? I don't think this fellowship would have ever existed if those two guys were told to wait one year before they go out and help other alcoholics, right? They launched into a course of vigorous action and they helped other alcoholics as a way of life, right? Uh, I think there's, there's a few turning points, I think, with Alcoholics Anonymous where it's been between seconds and inches, um, where it's almost been like the birth of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, some will say that it was when um, Roland Hazard was with Carl Jung and worked with them for a year, and Carl Jung uh, finally said to him, it's like, you're the alcoholic of the hopeless variety. You need to go find a spiritual experience, right? The most revered psychoanalyst in the entire planet had the humility to say, I can't help you. Bill Wilson's white light experience in Towns Hospital, someone would say that maybe that's the birth of Alcoholics Anonymous. To me, I think the birth of Alcoholics Anonymous came from Bill Wilson when he was in the Mayflower Hotel. 
and he's struggling to stay sober and he's got a bar this way with a bunch of loud people having fun and he's tempted and then there's a church directory over here right and he goes over to the church directory and he starts phoning different churches to do what talk about his feelings no <laughs> right he started phoning church directories to find another alcoholic that he could help, right? The very last call, Henrietta Cyberlean, right? She's like, I've been waiting for this call, you know? She was, she'd been praying and she made the introduction to Dr. Bob. And then even when Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob met with each other, uh, Dr. Bob didn't actually really want to talk to me. He's like, oh, wonderful, another reformer trying to fix me. And he's, you know, and that's what he said to, to Bill Wilson, right? He's like, oh, I guess you're here to, to fix my drink. And he goes, well, no, he says, you don't understand. I'm not here to help you. I'm here to help me. You know, and it kind of took him back a little bit, right? He's like, huh, I'd never heard that before. You know, the 15 minutes he was going to give him turned into several hours. And that was, to me, as the actual birth of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? You'll hear different versions of, you know, there's been a variety of things that lined up along the way. You know, I think God had his hand in this entire thing because there's been so many things between seconds and inches, right, that uh, that made Alcoholics Anonymous Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I'm going to talk about, well, let's just hit page 89 here. <clears throat> Working with others, I just wanted to touch on one, one sentence here. Practical experience shows that nothing, you can highlight and underline that word, nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. It's kind of like an extension of what we just read over on pages 14 and 15. There was a, a study that came out, and I do like actual like studies and of there was a 500 alcoholics and drug addicts it's a bolt a baltimore maryland study and what they did is they they followed a large group of people into recovery and they studied them they studied the actual results of um of their success and what they were doing and they broke them up into three groups and the first group was people that just went to meetings and what they found is that their recovery, their successful recovery was brutal, wasn't good. And then they studied another group, which was a group that went to meetings, got a sponsor, and did the steps. Now, while the recovery rates were better, they weren't actually that much better. And I was a little surprised by that. The third group was a group that went to meetings, got a sponsor, did the steps, and became sponsors. That group had a 75% recovery rate. Okay? This is a well-documented, funded, or sorry, non-funded study. Right? I can give you access to the article if you want to check it out. Now, that also coincides with our forward to the second edition, where it says 50% got sober at once, 25% after a few relapses. Back in the second edition, when people, like the steps were not optional, they were 
It's part of the deal. It's what you're doing when you get here, right? That particular study really got my attention. You know, I had already suspected that. But what it's saying is that getting the sponsor and doing the steps is helpful if you want to get lit up. It's where the good dope in this program is. You know, Josh, you know, I mean, look what's going on with you and you and the guy you're working with right now. Josh is lit up as Dustin's doing the work, right? Love it. Love to see it, you know? But this is where the good dope in the program is, right? (laughs) (laughs) Is becoming a sponsor. Now, again, it doesn't mean we're enablers. We have to know when to say no. And the big book is some very, very clear language about that. When to drop somebody, when to say no. That's not, that's, that's not what we do here. Your behavior is inappropriate, whatever it might be, right? Sometimes having these difficult conversations. So, ah, all right, all that, and I haven't got to my tips yet. <laughs> so I'm going to keep my eye on the clock here. I'll try to get us out here at a good time. Um, just some top tips, and again, this, pretty much everything in here can be reconciled with the big book. I'm not going to be hitting the pages, but I just want to be talking about them kind of like in a uh, off-grid type speech here, uh, or some tips. So I approach the newcomer. I do not wait for the newcomer to come to me. Now, we see those uh, meeting lists go around. Um, I t- did the math the other day. I think I've written my name on those meeting lists between maybe between four and 500 times. I've got one phone call and it was a drunk guy after the bar wanting to ride home, (laughs) right? That's a true story. Now, if I wrote my name down on those lists and waited for somebody to call me, I would have sponsored zero people, right? I approach the newcomer. Our big book tells us the same thing. We approach the man who's still sick. Now, I always thought it had to be some like grandiose big book share. I mean, not to quote the big book. Just go up to the newcomer and say, hey, you look new. My name's Mark. Welcome. Would you like to go have a coffee? Right? You know, let God take it from there. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. You know, it doesn't have to be some grandiose big book quote. Just, hey, you look new. Do you want to have a coffee? Uh, sometimes I trick them. I'll ask, uh, it's good. what I try to do is I try to get their number. I know if I give them their number, they're scared. You got to remember where they're at, right? They're scared. A lot of times they'll be, you know, shoulders crossed or arms crossed trying to look tough. They're usually, they're usually scared or sitting right by, by the door. Um, I'll often say to them like, hey, I listen to a lot of speaker talks. You interested in listening to one? I'll shoot it your way. Oh, sure. Guess what? I got their number, right? I shoot him a speaker talk, he's laughing because that's what Damien did to you, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I did to him. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little trick that I used to get somebody's number. Right? I shoot him a talk, I have their number, and guess what I can say? Hey, would you like to talk? How are things going? Boom, got some dialogue now. Right? Works unbelievably well. Right? Again, you know, the book says over and over and over again, and we don't wait for people to come to us. If, if, if that was the case, I would have sponsored zero people. Uh, I qualify the newcomer. I make sure they're in the right room. Okay? I want to make sure that alcohol is actually their problem. Um, and if it's not, I'm going to try to steer them to the right fellowship. 
Now, a lot of people are both. They're drug addicts and alcoholics. As long as they're an alcoholic, right? I'm, they're more than welcome to be in the rooms. They're more than welcome to be in an open, open meeting as well as an observer, right? But if they're, you know, if they belong in another fellowship, I have lots of names for people in NA. I have lots of names of strong members in CA. I have some members that I know in Overeaters Anonymous. I have members that I know that are in Gamblers Anonymous, right? I'll steer them to the fellowship that they're, that they most belong, right? They have much better chance of getting sober in there, right? Now, can they be a gambler and an alcoholic? Sure, right here, I'm the guy, right? You know, can they be a drug addict and an alcoholic? Sure, but if they're just, a, a just an addict and they don't have any issue with booze whatsoever, you know, I'm gonna try to steer them into the right room, okay? I outlined what a sponsor is and isn't. We talked about that already, so I don't need to repeat that, right? Again, I'm not a life coach. Uh, my job is to take somebody through the steps, have them have a spiritual awakening, and then now my job is to be, help them help others, okay? As a co-sponsor. I do a lot of co-sponsoring, right? Again, it helps alleviate the fear for that person that's taking somebody through the work for the first time. They're just like, oh, I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do, right? Well, three of us can do it together. You know, until that person's just got a little bit more confidence and they go out on their own and do it. Uh, I see if they're willing to go to any lengths. We talked about that quite a, quite a bit already. I don't need to beat that up. Um, but I actually do have them sign a contract in the beginning of the big book on the open page. Right? There's an open page in the big book because at that time they're crying and there's snot and there's tears and I'll do anything, I'll do anything, right? And then the, re, the ego rebuilds, and just a few days later, they're like, oh, I got this. I think I was just being too hard on myself, <laughs> right? We do a contract right away. I, so-and-so, am willing to go to any length to recover from alcoholism. I have them sign it, and I have them date it. So that after a week or two, when they're unwilling, when they're whining about writing inventory, or when they're whining about making amends, or when they're whining about working with others, right? I can say to them, it's like, hey, we're, we're, what happened to the guy that was so desperate just two weeks ago, right? I also want to try and shoot him through that spiritual window as fast as I possibly can, okay? I do not believe in waiting. I do not believe in taking your time, right? Dr. Harry Tebow, he did a lot of work with Alcoholics Anonymous. He does a lot of writings in regards to the resurgence power of the alcoholic ego. Unbelievable. The person who is crying and will do anything just to get a piece of sobriety. A few days later, like, no, I, I got this, right? Again, that spiritual window, I want to shoot them through there as, as well that there's still a level of willingness. Either A, they're going to get so uncomfortable in their skin, they go back out, or B, their ego rebuilds and they're like, ah, no thanks. Right? I'm not going to write inventory. I think I just need to put the plug in the jug and go to some meetings, right? Because that's what they were told. Um, again, I talked about the speed already. Work the steps fast, about two to three weeks with most of the guys that I sponsor. Uh, if, if you did them slower and you're sober and you're happy, wonderful. Again, our founders were nine days and 14 days sober and they did the work. The first 100. Nobody did more than, nobody took more than 30 days to do this work. Right over on page 263, we talked about it in the, our very first meeting. The founder of AA Chicago says, right in our literature, three and four hours, right? It was the Oxford group then, I'll grant you. Six-step program, same thing. No, it's like, 
this an we have an expanded version of that now, did the work fast, right? Again, I believe that spiritual window where the ego is down, the white flag is up, shoot them through, gotta go, right? Do you wanna rework the steps and get a deeper experience with the big book studies? Sure, 100%, right? But you need, you're gonna, you need some relief quick, right? Uh, no dependencies. I tell them right away, right? I am going to fail you as a sponsor. I'm gonna be having a bad day or a group of bad days. I'm gonna say something that pisses you off. I will fail you as a sponsor. I want you connected to God. I, as a sponsor, I'm gonna hold the sponsee's hand just long enough and God's hand long enough for there to be a connection and then I let go. And then I'm there as a resource Right? If somebody wants to share some inventory or ask how to help another alcoholic, right? I'm there as a resource, but I'm not there as a certified life coach. I will fail them as a sponsor. Or sorry, as a well, I will fail them as a as their higher power. Right. Um, and it, again, it doesn't mean I'm not there to take calls, right? You know, if somebody phones me and says, hey, do you got some experience with this? I'll share that experience, right? But I'm not telling them what to do, okay? Uh, I let them know that my ultimate goal is to make them a future sponsor. We talked about why. Not, not for me, not for Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, both of those are great, but for them. Okay. We just talked about the, the odds of them staying sober and happy as a sponsor is, is much, much stronger than if they're not, right? And again, you know, I'll tell them that right away. It's like, hey, I am teaching you to be a teacher. Because otherwise, it's just, for them, it's just self-serving yet again, right? You know, I just want to get better and then I want to get out there and do my thing, you know? We see that a lot, right? People, then they, it's a revolving door in and out, in and out. Me personally, I try to have, I try to be working with at least one person at any given time. Sometimes there's more, but I'm usually try to at least have one person that I'm taking through the steps at any given time, right? And if I'm not, then I put myself out there a little bit more. And I offer to take people through the steps, right? Hey, you know, you're looking for a sponsor. You're looking for someone to take you through this work with or without that title. I don't need to the title of sponsor or not, right? Even if you're new, just say, hey, I haven't been around very long, but I can show you what I know, right? I can work with my sponsor. We can show, you know, I mean, again, you can't screw it up. It's already a train wreck, right? You know, you're not going to do harm as long as you don't try to run their life. Um, as soon as we're completed the steps, I want them actively looking for someone to sponsor. I know the longer they wait, the less likely they will be to actually go out there with that level of desperation, right? Sought desperation, sought sobriety like that of the desperation of a drowning man. Okay, I want them looking right away. It's the very thing that kept our founders sober. Dr. Bob and Bill W., right? Again, in their first two weeks of sobriety, they're actively out there looking for people to work with. Uh, meeting formats. I do try to steer them towards meetings that are solution-based, okay? We have a Tuesday night big book study here, great meeting for learning the literature, 
lots of great 12 and 12 studies, especially if you want to learn a little bit more about the traditions and maybe a bit of a deeper understanding in regards to uh, the steps, right? Um, I'd prefer to see them in literature-based meetings as opposed to some of these open discussion meetings. Open discussion meetings are great for me to go find somebody to help. They tend to be a little bit sicker, right? But if somebody's really new to sobriety, what I don't want them to do is be lit right up, excited about recovery, go to a non-literature-based meeting and just have some old-timer that might not even be an alcoholic say, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. All you need to be do is put the plug in the jug and go to meetings. Oh, by the way, do you want to see my 50-year 50 50 sobriety coin? <laughs> right? You know, I've seen that lots, right? And they're like, they come back to me just dejected. They're like, I, I think I'm doing everything wrong. Because this guy with 50 years of sobriety told me I'm doing it wrong. Right? I do encourage anybody to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions in a non-confrontational manner. If somebody says, take your time. If somebody says, there's no such thing as a recovered alcoholic. If somebody says a variety of different things in a non-confrontational manner, it's okay to ask questions, which is, thank you, I appreciate it. I'm relatively new around here. Can you please show me where it says that in the big book? you're going to start to decipher who knows the literature from those who don't. Please, it's a good thing. If you are indeed the real alcoholic that we identified in step one, it is important to get some people that know their way around our literature. And it's okay to ask questions, right? Again, I'm not going to do it in a fashion of trying to offend somebody. I'm, I'm actually genuinely curious. Please, can you show me where it says that? I'm still trying to learn. It's okay to ask that. Uh, Three-part solution. I want them to be staying in the center of the circle in the triangle. It's a promise I make anybody right from the very beginning. If you stay in the center of the circle in the triangle, right, you will, there's no reason you'll ever need to drink again. Not only that, that's actually where my emotional sobriety sits as well, right? Just being dry and, and having emotional sobriety are two different things. When I call my sponsor that I have now, Chris, out in Texas, Okay, it's the very first thing he asks is, where are you in the circle, in the triangle? Plot yourself. How many meetings are we can get into, right? Are you starting the day with prayer and meditation? Are you finishing the day with evening review, right? Where are you at in your amends? When's the last time you worked with a newcomer, right? I'm going to plot myself in the circle, in the triangle. More often than not, my problems aren't what... I thought they were. I truly believe alcoholism and drug addiction to be the disease of perception. And I'm how I perceive the world when I'm not in the center of the circle and the triangle is often very, very skewed, right? I get centered in the circle and the triangle, and it seems like all the jerks just leave town again, right? You know, but when I'm not centered, I'm flipping people a bird in traffic and I'm mad and I'm just like everyone's out to get me and screw me over right and the I get centered again guess what the world hasn't changed I have my perception has changed I believe this to be, be the disease of perception um, I don't shield someone's life from alcohol that's doomed to be a failure let's read about that because that's that is a polar opposite of what some of the treatment centers are, are teaching out there. Okay, page 101, second, second paragraph. I just want to touch on this real quick. 
I don't shield anyone's uh, shield anyone's life from alcohol, and it's actually going to say that specifically in this reading. Uh, page 101, second paragraph. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these method, methods. These, att these attempts to do the impossible have always failed. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. doesn't mean I just go try to steal a little vicarious, vicarious pleasure from the past. That includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain ordinary whoopee parties. I'm never sure what that actually meant. <laughs> so. <laughs> so who would always, who's been to treatment here before? Pardon? Who's been to treatment? A little more than half the room. Okay. I have to. One of the big things was these, these trigger lists. Okay. Here's what my sponsor taught me is trigger is the name of a horse and it's dead. Okay. The main trigger for me was oxygen. As long as my eyes were open, I was triggered. Right? Now, that doesn't mean I'm reckless. I'm not going to tell a newcomer to go hang out in a bar. I'm not going to tell a newcomer to go hang out with some of your old drinking and using friends. You've got to remember where we're at in the book here. We've already worked through the amends. We've already done the work. We're here. Okay? This isn't for the, the new guys. Like, no, no, it's okay. You can go hang out at the bar. <laughs> right? No. We put in the effort. We put in the heavy lifting. This is where we're at. Right? And to me, that's freedom. I can go places that the counselors told me I'd never be able to go. I've gone to Vegas 12 times in sobriety, right? There's counselors out there that would make their heads spin off, right? It's like, no, that's a trigger. Like, no, it's not, right? What it does say in my book, though, if I'm on shaky ground, what? What should I do? Avoid those places. Avoid them, yeah. Work with another alcoholic. Work with another alcoholic instead, exactly. Yep, exactly. If I'm on shaky ground, I actually go, if I got a, like I got a Mexico trip coming up and it's, it can be a little bit wild sometimes just with some of the atmosphere I'm in. I crank up my service work before I go. Right. Cause again, lack of power was my dilemma. You know, I go to meetings when I go down there, when I go to Vegas, I'm going to meetings in Vegas. Right? It's part of my, it's part of my world. And when I go to Mexico, I'm going to meetings. Right. But again, any, any scheme to shield the person from alcohol is doomed for failure. All right. Um, page 96, first paragraph. We touched on this already a little bit. Again, rather than as Mark sees it, I want to touch on this from my book. We don't chase drunks, right? Not, a, you know, we'll, we'll approach the newcomer, yes. But if somebody doesn't want what we have, leave them, leave them alone. Right? That time could be better spent. You know, I can have one person suck up so much of my time that I could have been helping a half a dozen people that were willing. Page 96, first paragraph. Keep my eye on the clock here. Uh, do not be discouraged if your prospect uh, does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept 
with eagerness what we have to offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of, a, one of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. All right. So what it's saying is if somebody doesn't want what we have and they're not willing to go to any lengths, bye. <laughs> right? I'm not sure how else to put it. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not nice to them at the meetings. I am. But they're not getting my personal time anymore. Forget it. Absolutely not. I value it. Now, if somebody's willing to do the work, I will put my life on hold and bend over backwards for them. Right? But only, a, only if they're willing to do what they need to do. Uh, do not get attached to the results. We already talked about that a little bit. We are not the power. Right? I don't have the power to get anyone sober. I do not have the power to get anyone drunk. So don't get attached to the results. That was a big thing for me. It's like, especially the first few guys I worked with, they weren't, they weren't staying sober. I'm like, oh, I'm no good, right? All that self-defeating attitude yet again. It's like, no, I'm staying sober. I'm trying, right? I'm doing my part. Um, give them a fatal dose of alcoholism. Again, this is uh, where I think Bill Wilson was uh, failing, failing with his first couple dozen, three dozen prospects, is he was leading with God. He's like, I found God. You need to find God, right? It'll help you, right? Uh, once he started to lead with the disease, lead with the illness, and let them know they are suffering from a fatal, progressive, and chronic illness, that they are 100% screwed based on their own willpower, right? then the results got a lot better. Many shared hope, right? Explain what alcoholism is. I'm not going to go and say, hey, I found God and you should too, <laughs> right? Good luck with that. So, um, and the last one here, I want to give them a basic knowledge of the traditions, all right? Now, this is after we've done the work and they're actually out there <clears throat> actively sponsoring alcoholics which again should really shouldn't take long i'm going to give them some some basic knowledge of, of the traditions right i want them to know what an open meeting is i want them to know what a closed meeting is right i want them to know what's okay to share what they shouldn't be putting on social media those kind of things right i want to give them just a basic knowledge uh some of that this is where i will connect them to the 12 and 12. 12 and 12 got some really, really good stuff in regards to the traditions. Uh, the traditions illustrated pamphlet is absolutely wonderful. Um, honestly, my main teachers out there have been men and women who a lot of them are dead. And a lot of them I haven't met before through speaker talks, right? They have, I think God has spoke to me through these people that have been recorded. If you want to learn about the traditions, write down Billy N, N as in Nancy. I've learned more from him on the traditions than everyone else combined. He's got some unbelievable talks out there on the traditions. He puts it in a fashion that actually keeps it exciting, right? Because I've, I've sat in a couple of traditions workshops. I'm like, oh my God, 
they end up dying here, <laughs> right? Uh, Billy N does a really good job in keeping this exciting. Um, and if you're going to listen to one person in regards to recovery, I know there's some people that have their favorite, favorite recovery talks. Mark, Mark H, Mark Houston, he's passed away now. He's sponsored by a sponsor for 17 years. Mark H is, is just, he's got some great, great stuff out there. Right? If you haven't heard from him, just go to AA Speakers Mark H. Unbelievable. You can't miss with any of this stuff. Unbelievable. Um, and as much as anything, what I want to hammer home is Alcoholics Anonymous needs you. It doesn't need another Mark. Right? I'm too abrasive for some. It needs each and every person on the firing line. Right? Some people have a little bit of a kinder approach. Right? AA needs you. Right? Every one of us to do our part. There's people that are dying out there of this illness. Right? And it needs us. Uh, and I'm just going to close this with a, I think our timing is going to be okay here. I just want to close this with a bit of a, a poem that I struggled a lot, and I still struggle a lot with the concept of God. Um, it's something that's been a challenge for me my entire time. There's a poem that, uh, that really helped me with this. And it's, it's just three lines. It says, I sought my soul and my soul I could not see. I sought my God and my God eluded me. And I sought my brother and I found all three. Right? So I experience God through service. Right? For me. You know, I think trying for me to conceptualize God is just too big of a thing. Uh, to me, it's still the God of my not understanding. Now, when I'm working one-on-one with another alcoholic and doing my part in order to try and help somebody else, I truly believe that's my connection with a higher power or God. I love that poem. It was a game changer for me. Right? Um, I experience God through service. Any questions? I experienced God. Oh, I sought my soul, my soul I could not see. I sought my God, my God eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. Or your sister. Again, this is a different time a lot of the stuff was written, right? Um... Just want to put it out there just for maybe a little bit of time for some some Q and A. Any questions? Not a question, but a comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of your first tips was I mean, like, can you, you speak up? Yeah, there's people sorry, online. Uh, one of the first tips he says you don't wait for an alcoholic. Um, you approach them first, and the newcomer. Well, I also approach a lot of people that are just suffering that aren't newcomers. Good point. Um, it says the man who's still sick. A lot of the time, the man who's still sick might be here three years, 10 years, 20 years, right? Um, we see a lot of people struggling in sobriety, you know, and I'll, I'll always put myself open to anybody. I think a noose around so many people's neck, we think there's this hierarchy of wellness based upon our coin, right? It's like, well, you know. The person 40 is more healthy than the person 37, and the person 37 is more healthy than the person 32, right? Again, it's, that's not how it works, right? And sometimes I can learn as much from somebody in their first two years of, of recovery 
and Candace the other day in the recovery center. She just lit up, right? Lit on fire, you know, because she's just so excited about recovery. You know, when you're around here for a period of time, sometimes that enthusiasm can kind of go away a little bit. You know, I can learn a lot from the from the people in early recovery, even as someone that's been around here for a little while. Right? Yeah, good good point. Any other questions? Okay, that brings us to their conclusion. I do want to, yeah, go ahead. I, I do have a question. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, we've gone through the steps. We've, we've rolled the way through that. And you talk about the discussion meetings and, and things like that. Sobriety doesn't stop when we're done these 12 steps. Like, we don't graduate from this thing. Nope. So, you know, what, what's, uh, well, now just open this up. Have a discussion meeting here. No, um, you know, like, how do we blend the going through these twelve steps and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous? Because they're not one or the other. Like it's been my experience is both. Yeah, that are working right. I I would agree absolutely. I think for my experience on this is you've got the program and you got the fellowship. And they are two very different things. And they, they coexist with each other very, very well. Right? To me, the fellowship is like a safety net for a person walking on the high wire. Right? Without the fellowship, the person falls off the high wire, falls, lands on the pavement, he's dead. The fellowship is there to catch us. Right? It's for us to commun communicate. Is for us to have a group of people all working together to support each other. The last thing we ever want to do is shoot our wounded. You know, we see that a lot too. It's like, you know, there's lots of, I've been fired, I don't know how many times. You know, people go back out and they come back after six months or a year, right? You know, it's like, hey, you know, um, I, want to, I want to revisit the work, right? You know, but I think the fellowship and it gives us a community. Otherwise, it's just me and God, which is great. But again, I experienced God, I think, through human interaction. And uh, I think the fellowship is, is essential, you know. Um, and we tend to find our, our tribe, you know. Um, doesn't mean I, I get along with everybody, <laughs> right? I don't, you know. But we're all, we're all here for a common reason. I don't know if that was helpful or not. Yep. Just throwing it out there. Yep. Yeah. There's one, there's one thing you said he told me was, when I was a newcomer, I came to meetings to find a sponsor. And now that I'm a sponsor, I, find, I go to meetings to find sponsees. And that's how the fellowship blended in with the work. That's in my understanding that he taught me. That was what I found very helpful. But. Yeah, good point. And again, if I go to a meeting to get help, it's a very different mentality than if I'm going to a meeting to help. Because I'm going to a meeting to get help, then again, yet again, it's all about me. And it's 100% self-serving. I hear that all the time. I'm not doing very well. I need a meeting. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and people get through things that way, right? You know? Yeah. And I think the meeting and the fellowship Without them, we may not have had a place to come. Sure. I think it's super important to keep those 
political and strong or otherwise. Where else are we going to meet the new people? Person on the street, where do they go? Yep. No, 100%. A big, big fan of the fellowship, right? Again, where my challenges were in AA is I thought the fellowship was the program because that's what I was told, right? The two, they are two different entities and they coexist and work with each other very, very well, right? I'm all about sober barbecues and whatever it is, right? Great, wonderful, we got a community, right? I mean, that was a big thing was I was an island for so long unless I had whiskey in me, right? So. So fellowship <coughs> uh, Fellowship is meetings, spending time with other alcoholics, Hanging out with other alcoholics. So basically unity, wouldn't it? Yes. Here? Yep. Yeah. 100%. Yep. 100%. So what I have done is I printed out a step guideline that I use for anyone that's finished all four weeks here. Um, this is a step outline. It's information from the big book that I've it's what it is it's about two different step guidelines that I took the favorite parts that I had from my sponsor and I added a few different things to it as well and it's an actual guide that I use to take people through the work right it's like okay when you meet the newcomer you say this and then on the second meeting you say that and here are the readings you go through and it's just a guide it's not blasphemy it's information from a, the literature put onto a separate piece of paper that's used to help take somebody through the work. I've found it extremely beneficial. I've uh, I printed 10 of them out. Um, 